When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Terrio Media. Don't wait for appreciation to buy real estate. Buy for cash flow and wait. In other words, hold that house. Your hosts, Matt Andrews and Matt Terrio. Hey, flipping houses can make you rich. Holding them will make you wealthy. This is the Hold That House Show, and I am Matt Terrio. And over there is Matt Andrews. Honey, I'm home. <laughs> Before we begin, we've got a free gift just for you. Go to holdthathouse.com and download the four-hour work month. The Ten Commandments to Managing Property Managers. The key ingredient to financial independence through real estate that they are not telling you about. And you can get that for free at holdthathouse.com. 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 That was almost like a jingle or something. That's right. Holdthathouse.com. Yep. The the humidity is getting to me. That's right. Seven straight weeks of uh, humid hotness in Tampa Bay. (laughs) It's got us right in jingles. Oh, no. It does. Skip it a boop. Yeah. We should go back to our previous career. (laughs) We definitely should. We're not good at this one. Exactly. Anyway. Um, last week we talked about where do you find the cash to get started and it really came down to find the deal first. Yep. Right. So that's the most important part. Also, you know, don't act like you need it. Um, don't act like you need the money specifically. Don't be desperate. Don't be desperate. Don't Um, be that bad date. Exactly. We said. (laughs) Keep the drool in your mouth. That's right. Um, be transparent and just be straightforward. Pay people back when you said you're going to pay them back and definitely pay them back how much you said you were going to pay them back. What a novel concept. I know, right? Yes. It's amazing that in, our, in today's world that that is actually what gets you more business. Even, that it's even something we need to talk about as a tip. Right. Here's a tip. Be honest. (laughs) Hey, here's a tip. Have integrity. I like that. Yeah. That's worth its weight in gold right there. Exactly, right? So if finding the deal is so important because that's how the money's going to find you, find the deal and the money will find you. It's my my favorite saying because it's absolutely true. Totally. Absolutely true. And every real estate investor I've ever had on any of my podcasts or I've ever talked to, not one of them, not one of them disagree with that notion. Absolutely. All right. So... Finding the deals, that's your most valuable skill that you can create as an investor. So where do you find the deals? We're going to talk about that today. But let's talk about what a deal is and then why a deal is a deal, meaning why can you buy it for less than what someone else is willing to pay for it? Okay, so let's talk about a deal. That's very subjective. And each mm-hmm. and every person, it's a very personal question, actually. Sure. And it could be a different answer for every single person that we would ask that to. Yeah. And yeah, many answers to that question, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> so a deal is 
First, you'd probably have to look at what are your goals or what are your what is your intention with real estate? And a deal is something that's going to get you there. Yeah. It's going to it's something that's by acquiring or investing or whatever that transaction may be, whatever's going to get you closer to your end mark. And then obviously the better deals get you there faster. Yep. And you can't know what a deal is if you don't have that measure right. to put it against, right? So I always talk about something called your minimum deal standards. So those are really important for you to establish first because it makes the decision process so much easier. And also in this game of real estate, it can be competitive in the sense that um, typically if you can act fast, you win more often, the yep. guys that can act fast. And acting fast doesn't mean, don't confuse that with acting irresponsibly. Yeah. Acting fast is just acting fast. Yeah, being decisive. Being decisive, yep. absolutely. Not acting rashly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can act fast, be responsible, and be smart, and be very good at this if you know what a deal looks like before you ever go shopping for one. Right. Right? Sure. So a couple of different ways that parameters or, I guess, characteristics of how you can measure a deal is, you know, if you're an income investor, maybe it's your return on investment, your cash-on-cash cash return. Uh, or maybe it's, uh, if you are a capital gains investor, maybe it's the amount of equity that you're able to acquire up front or the amount of equity that you project in the future. It's another way. Um, like, for example, you have a $100,000 house, and I'm not going to buy anything unless I get $20,000 of equity with the purchase. Right. So that means at a $100,000 house, you are not going to spend a dime over $80,000 sure. for it. So now you know when a deal comes across, this is a beautiful $100,000 house, but it's $84,000 to me, you know you need to negotiate $4,000 less. Yep. But if it comes across and it's $80,000, you know you can act fast and you're right on mark. Yep. But if you don't have that criteria, then you don't know how to act fast. You can't act fast. You won't have the confidence to act fast. Right. Um, and especially for us buy and hold investors, I mean, you and I, we look at a ton of properties to find the ones we would want mm -hmm. to have in our portfolio, right? So if we don't have an objective criteria to disqualify the ones, even more so than qualifying the right ones, um, you know, we see 100 come across our desk. We're not buying all 100 of them, right? We're buying like one or two. Right. So how do we quickly take it from 100 possible deals to, nope, these 98 don't work. These two fit the criteria. I'm going to look at it more. Well, you've got to have that criteria. So for me, it's having a simple, you know, when I'm looking at rental properties or properties I want to put in my portfolio, it's having a simple pro forma that I can plug some numbers into very quickly. You know, mm -hmm. and just plug a few numbers in and just know, hey, if this is not a possibility at all. What's a pro forma, Matt? A pro forma yeah. is, you know, something that just gives you... We don't, um, we don't get your, that sophisticated around that, that's, uh, I know, that sounds like, <laughs> what am I, from Wall Street or something? So, so basically a spreadsheet that you're plugging numbers into that lets you uh, project the numbers. So if you're trying to figure out, hey, I'm buying this property, I'm going to rent this out, uh, you know what it rents for, you know what your purchase price would be. Uh, you quickly put together some estimates of insurance, taxes, the other expensive mm -hmm. property manager managing it. What's their fee? Put that in there. Uh, and then it gives you an idea. Okay, um, you know, on a yearly basis, here's my return. Or on a monthly basis, here's what I'm looking at. Here's what kind of cash flow I'm looking at. Here's my return on investment. And if you can look at that and know, hey, anything under, and I'm just going to pull a number out of my hat, but anything under 10% return on investment is not even a possibility, not even interested in looking at it. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of those deals are going to be 7 and 8% deals so you just get those off your table now you're just looking at 10 percent and up and then like you said you're getting 20 percent cash on cash and a lot of your stuff right mm -hmm. so um so now you take that next step you know and, and say okay i'm looking at the highest and best use what you know what are these really going to produce but have a cutoff there you know so for me uh in certain markets it is a uh, 12 percent roi that we won't even look at anything 
unless it's at least that, right? Now, it, may not, it still may not be the deal we want, but at least that lets us get rid of 95% of the ones right. we know we don't want. And then as you scale up a business like you and I have and have people working for us and staff kind of looking at some of these things, then it becomes even more important because now it's not just your time. It's the time you're paying people to look at that and qualify or disqualify those, right? right? And if you you don't have an objective criteria, you don't want their best guess. (laughs) That doesn't work, right? You don't want their opinion of it. You don't want their opinion. You want that pro forma filled out or whatever it is, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's just having, um, you know, and and it's different for everybody, like you said, but it's having something uh, definitive, to mm-hmm. say, look, here's what I do, and here's what I want, and here's what's you know not even not even in the realm of possibility. I wouldn't even look at this, right? You know, and and, uh, and knowing that, and then and then that brings you the luxury of being decisive, mm-hmm. and people that can move fast and move fast quickly and intelligently. Those are the ones that win uh, and get the best deals, right? Absolutely. So there you go. Please stand by. We've got overhead to pay. We'll be right back. Your portfolio has seen better days, but. This too shall pass. And the best for you is yet to come. Together, we'll get you there faster. We're turnkeyallies.com. And we'd like to share some information with you that will show you how you can take control of your financial future and accelerate its arrival. Go to turnkeyallies.com. More building, less waiting. Turnkeyallies.com. So let's talk about how we find these deals, right? Right. Well, let's let's yeah, let's talk about why someone would give us a deal. Why would someone right. sell us a hundred thousand dollar house for eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars? It's a great question, and it happens all the time. It does. <laughs> that question comes all up the all the time. And there's a phrase that's thrown around our industry called motivated sellers, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit, I guess, counterintuitive when you hear the word motivated because motivated has a connotation of something positive. Right. In our society, in our, in our nomenclature, our lexicon. Right. <laughs> I'm pulling them all out today. Yes. All right. <laughs> our lexicon. Yes. You got to me about performer and you just said lexicon. Yes, that's right. This is a I... highbrow show. We've gone Ivy League in this one, I think. Yes. <laughs> Other people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Let's get back down to the, you know, the way we normally talk. Okay, go ahead now. Go. You know, right? <laughs> that's how I do down here in Tampa. That's right. All right. Come on. Um, so... Got sidetracked. <laughs> Lexicon, nomenclature. So, uh, what, what are we talking about? Oh, motivated. motivated. Okay. So, yeah. motivated has a, a positive connotation in our language. Right. Right. But in, when you're in real estate, what causes a seller to be motivated is typically not something positive that's going right. on in their it's life. A negative motivation. Yes, yes. There's something negative going on in their life, whether it's death, uh, disease, divorce bankruptcy, job relocation. Um, there can be financial distress of the person. There can be personal or emotional distress of the person. The property itself could be in distress. So there are all this, these different types of distress are what cause somebody to be motivated to sell their property fast and at a discount. And the logical question, well, I guess it's somewhat logical from the outside looking in, but it's, it's not from the inside looking out from where we are. Mm-hmm. Is well, why would they sell it to you for eighty thousand dollars if they could just list it with a realtor and sell it for a hundred thousand? Right. It's what you're doing there is you're placing your value system on that seller's value system. Right. What has them motivated and going through life is nothing that you're experiencing yourself. So you're you're analyzing, you're almost negotiating for the seller on their behalf when you ask that question. Sure. Right. And you're placing your value system on that seller as well mm-hmm. to. Real estate investors like you and I, a house holds great value. To someone that uh, just got divorced and is filing bankruptcy, 
that house represents, um, okay, I'm going to get to live a few more months. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a house. It doesn't have the value or the investment value that Absolutely. we have. It's, it's a, whole, a quick fix. There's it's, a whole backstory there that we don't know anything about, right. and we don't understand it, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I had a you know a property we bought just the other day, a couple weeks ago in Michigan, and the seller came to us, was highly motivated, was a motivated seller, like you said, because um, she was in Michigan for a week. Her mother had just died. She was there for the funeral and to pack up some things at the house and to get rid of that house. Mm-hmm. And she was doing all of that in seven days. Now, she was not thinking, what can I get for this house if I have three months to wait and can parade a bunch of people through this with a realtor? And none of that stuff was in her mind. Could she have gotten more for the house than I eventually paid her for it? Absolutely. She could have listed it. She could have waited. She could have had, you know, if she had time, she could have done that. She wasn't even interested in talking about that. What she needed and what she wanted was to move on in her life. Mm-hmm. And she needed to get back home. She lived a state or two away. I think, I think she was in Indiana or Ohio, and the house was in Michigan where her mom had died. It wasn't about a financial motive even, really. Mm-hmm. It was about my, my mother died. I need to move on. And my company, I was the buyer of that property and gave her the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. That's what she wanted. And right. once I found that out, then I was like, well, we can help you move on and here's what we can do for this and, and this can be done in three days. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we met her needs, gave her what she wanted and she moved on. So you don't know that many times. And so like you said, you put your own thoughts into that motivated right. seller's head. Well, you know, people have all different motivations. So she wanted to sell me that house for probably 50 cents on the dollar and I bought it. Mm-hmm. You know, Of course you did. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of my, my early mentors in the business when I was just really learning um, had said, uh, Motivated sellers will trade equity for peace of mind all day long. Absolutely. The peace of mind holds a higher value than the sale of the house holds for them. Yep. And once you understand that, it's like, now all you have to do is go around and, okay, I'm going to go talk with this person and I'm going to provide them peace of mind in exchange for some equity. Sure. And if you approach it like that, all of a sudden you can start getting very creative. You start seeing the light. You start seeing opportunities and possibilities where they did not exist before. Right. So... Distress. That's what we're looking for. Yep. The three different types of distress we're looking for. Financial distress, emotional distress, and property distress. Now, how do we find that? Now, what we're talking about, keep this in mind also, we're talking about only probably 1% to 5% of all real estate transactions that happen. Right. 95% of all real estate transactions will happen on the multiple listing service above board with realtors involved. Yep. 95%. So sure. we're looking for the small 5%. So where do we find those 5%? Lots of places. Lots right? of places. <laughs> but just if you stay focused that you're looking for distress. So where do you find property owners that could be experiencing some sort of distress? We sure. dropped some hints already a little bit. But for example, um, divorce. Okay? That's someone that's going through some emotional distress, maybe some also some financial distress. And so if they own a property, that property could be reasonably gathered that that would be sold at a discount at some point. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's sure. a logical place. Not 100%, but that's a place where your possibilities is far greater right there than it is just going knocking on random doors. Right. Okay? Because that's 95% of the, sure. the, the transactions. We're looking for that 5%. Increasing the like- likelihood. Right. So we're just narrowing yeah. our scope. Exactly. All right? So it's still not a guarantee, but that's where our likelihood is. Mm-hmm. All right? So that, a divorce record. Um, people that haven't paid their property taxes. You find tax liens. So there's some financial distress going on right Right. there, right? Increases Uh, the likelihood that they're who you're looking for and would be motivated. Right. No guarantees, Mm -hmm. but it increases the likelihood. The percentages go way up. Much more than just 
asking random people and right. <laughs> bumping into one that you right. know, has the house. Right. One of the favorites of, of real estate investors as far back as we can remember is driving up and down streets looking for distressed property, yeah. property that looks you know, unkept. The grass is four feet high. Exactly. The windows are broken. There's notices sitting in the window, mm-hmm. you know. Yep, absolutely. You go right down the address. You go look up the title records to see who's the owner. Yep. And you mail them a letter. Sure. Or you give them a call, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. So those are the different ways of, you know, if, as long as you maintain, okay, I'm looking for someone that's in distress and that person owns property. Sure. Right? So now that we've kind of put that all together, well, let's kind of run down a list of places where we find deals. Sure, sure. Well, and those sellers, those distressed sellers can be individuals and they can also be banks or yes. funds too. You know, we saw, we've seen a lot of that over, over the last you know, few years, especially with foreclosures. You know, sometimes... It's, uh, you know, Bank of America that's distressed because they've got 5,000 toxic assets in one market. So they can be a motivated seller, too. And so it's not just with the individuals, although that is kind of a sweet spot for a lot of people that get started in real estate investing. Um, Definitely a sweet spot to uh, to start looking. So let's break down some of the different sources that we have. Um, Obviously, MLS, like you said, is one source. That's where most of them. Our, our most properties are listed. Most transactions happen. So it's probably your least likely place to find a it's deal. It's probably the least likely place, but it's people's most likely place to start looking, right? Right. It's where most right. people start. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah. So not what we recommend necessarily for the best deals, but that's definitely one place. Um, another one, and this might seem you know super like a super crazy concept, other real estate investors. Mm-hmm. That's the, one of the first places I always look. You know, If nothing else, even if I don't buy properties from another wholesaler in the same city I'm in, or another investor in the same city I'm in, um, it gives me a great idea of what they're buying and what investors are looking for and what they're looking mm-hmm. at. That's real-time market research right there. So I always look to, when I first go into a market, look at the other wholesalers and you know try to do some deals out of their deals, right. you know, if they're real deals and if, they'll, if they're not marking them up too high for it to make sense for you, right? right. So that's another place. Um, the auction is another place. And Auctions. We, you know, you've probably seen some TV shows. I think TLC and some of these other... And, you know, uh, channels have had some uh, auction real estate shows, and it's probably not as glorious as it looks on those shows and, and storage wars and stuff like that. But I've many times bought properties at the courthouse, um, you know, right here in Tampa, and mm-hmm. it's highly competitive. Um, it's a it's at a different point, you know, and many times they are bank owned or about to be, I should say, about to be bank owned at that point because it's a foreclosure. It's about to change from the ownership of the individual to the bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you get in at the right price and, and you can make that work, that's another place to pick them up. Highly competitive, and you got to have cash pretty quick if mm-hmm. you're buying at the auction. But that's, you know, I know you bought them at the auction. I bought them at the auction, too. So that's another place. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, there's just so many on this list. Okay. I'm just going to run down rapid fire. HUD yeah. properties. You know, there's a, what is it, HUD.gov? Is that, is that I think that's. HUD.gov, yeah. Yep. So you can go to HUD.gov and you can see government-owned foreclosures, right? right? You can see what's for sale there. You can bid on those right there. Now, that's a whole business in and of itself. Again, highly competitive. You got to know what you're doing, but that's another place that I've bought multiple properties, you know, from from government-owned sources that that sell through HUD. So that's been a that's been a good source for us as well. Mm-hmm. Asset managers going directly to and again, it's something you've got to learn how to do, but going directly to asset managers who work for the banks. So, let's say a property goes into foreclosure, it goes to the auction. Um, maybe there's some offers on it or no offers on it, but whatever it is, the bank didn't accept whatever came in. Mm-hmm. The bank then takes that back at the auction, right? So it's gone from individual owner to the auction. Now the bank has said, okay, we didn't get what we wanted for this or no one bid on it. 
we're taking it back. And that happened a lot here in Tampa. They didn't get as much as they wanted. You know, I'd be down there giving lowball offers. It wasn't enough. The bank would take it back. At that point, that property lands on an asset manager's desk, probably with a hundred other files. Mm-hmm. And those asset managers are tasked with the job to get rid of those properties. Now, what usually happens is, and many times what happens, especially with some of the bigger banks, is they commission a local REO broker, a real estate agent that specializes in getting rid of bank-owned foreclosures, and they give that they give 100 properties or 50 properties or whatever to that REO broker, and the REO broker puts them on the MLS and sells them. But if you can create relationships with those asset managers, um, I have been successful at being able to buy them directly from them before they go uh, onto an MLS market. So asset managers and reaching out to local banks that have taken back homes, that's another way to do it. Again, is it easy? Um, no, it's a whole business in and of itself. It's a whole strategy that you can form an entire business around, but that's certainly a place that you can buy those. So asset managers um, is another way. And then, man, I just think about all the different ways that you and I have used to find direct sellers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, distressed sellers, motivated sellers, individuals, mm-hmm. and that's direct mail campaigns mm-hmm. and, and yellow letter campaigns. And you can go to a site like Yellow Letters Complete or something like that, and uh, they, they will actually send targeted letters to these people that look like they're handwritten. You mm-hmm. can send postcards, uh, um, bandit signs, you know, talk about right. lo- low-tech ways, you know. Uh, I will buy your house today. Sure, surely almost all of you have seen that, right? You know, right. seen... Those in your in your town or in your neighborhood, I'll buy your house cash in three days or whatever it is. So bandit signs. You saw some today on the way to the beach. We, I'm sure you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're mm-hmm. not going to drive around Florida too much and not see some <laughs> of those, you know, because there's still you know there's still foreclosures here. So mm-hmm. um, so you're going to see advertising like that. And then there's just a number of different internet uh, internet based options to reach out to people who might be in distress and say, hey, I'll buy your house. And so. You guys have seen the signs, we buy ugly houses and seen home investors type operations. It's all the strategies that they use. So anything, anything from billboards to TV ads to radio ads, appealing to people who have a real estate problem mm-hmm. and saying we can solve the problem by buying this house and doing it quickly and doing it with cash right now. Um, and I mean, the list could go on and on when you go down the internet marketing totally, rabbit totally. hole, right? I know when people drive down the street and they see signs like that or they see a billboard and they scratch their head like, do those things really work? Yeah. Well, yes, they do. Yes, they do. There. If you do them right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? And you can't that's just put out there. one bandit sign and think it's going to work. But just like anything else, it's a, it's a full strategy. And if you employ it with, um, you know, there's track records for those kind of things. And there's numbers, you know. You know, and Matt and I can tell you in different markets that we've done direct mail in. You know, in this market, when I send out this many postcards or this many letters to the right targeted list, I'm going to get this many phone calls. And out of that many phone calls, I'm going to probably get this many deals. Mm-hmm. You know, now without a system, it, it's just wasting your time and money. You know, mm-hmm. but that's that's one way to do it. So all of these, and there's probably you know, there's probably a dozen more, but those are all ways that we have recently purchased properties and uh, sources that have brought us deals that were uh, that we bought for far less than what they were actually worth. And most of the time, we're ones that we've wanted to hold on to as well because we're always looking for buy and hold properties, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're you know using our criteria for what's what's the minimum we'd want to make on a buy and hold property? What's mm-hmm. the minimum we'd want to make for this multifamily property? What's the return that we would say, hey, nothing lower than this? And right. then you run it through the same process like we talked about. And you have a definitive criteria and you weed out 98 out of the 100 you brought in. And you got two that uh, have a real possibility of being real deals. Right. And that's how it works. But it's always a numbers game. The question, I guess, you know, that's not the question. It's always a numbers game. But the question is, 
what acquisition source works for you or what do you want to use. That's you a good, good thing to, to point out that there are a lot of different ways. When sure. we ran down some of them, I think we only cover about 60, 70% of what we know. Uh, let's see the real estate and other real estate investors, auctions, banks, HUD, asset managers, REO brokers, direct mail, probate, inheritance lists, um, tax liens. Tax liens, yeah. Tax liens, another biggie. Mm-hmm. Um, between all of those, like which one do I use? Which one's the best? Mm. Like they all work. Sure. Each and every one of them work. What I would recommend if you're just getting started and finding your own deals is pick one. Right. Stick with it yeah. and go deep. Become an expert at it. Exactly. Um, don't go wide and shallow trying to do everything. That is a, the fastest path to frustration. <laughs> it's the plight of the real estate entrepreneur when they're getting started is that it's 20 different business, or I'm sorry, 100 different businesses in one, really. You know, there's all these different directions you can go. But if you don't pick one right. and get good at it, right. then it's not going to work. And the key to getting good at something, guys, is find somebody who already did it good mm-hmm. and, and write this down. I want everybody to sharpen their pencils and write this down. Find somebody who already figured out how to do it well. And ready? Here it is. Here's the big secret. Copy them. <laughs> all right? That's the right. big secret, guys. All right? No need to reinvent the wheel. Guess what? People before you were born... Bought and sold properties for a profit, bought and hold, you know, and held properties for, for good returns, and they're gonna be doing it after you die too. Find somebody who's doing it really well now and copy them, emulate them, you know, or work with them. Um, that's the quickest way to learn anything. So absolutely, and it. there's so many different directions, but like Matt said, choose one. And um, you know, a, a jack of all trades, master of none is, is not the way to approach real estate. It's become a master of one strategy. Do it well, automate it. And then move on to the next one. Boom. Boom. So that's where you find the deals. That's it. <laughs> so you're looking, let's just sum that up. You're looking for d- motivated sellers. What causes sellers to be motivated? They're financially distressed, they are emotionally distressed, or their property itself is distressed. Keep that in mind and now your creativity, let that go and uh, become a master at that one path that you choose. Sounds like a plan, man. Love it. All right. Sounds, that's it. Sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. Yeah. <laughs> So that's it for today. Flipping houses can make you rich. Holding them will make you wealthy. We'll be back next week. Until then, remember, don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Hold that house! Contrary to popular belief, a lack of funding is not the biggest barrier to starting a business. It's excuses. But don't let a lack of funding be your excuse. We are Epic Fast Funding, and we'd like to fund your business with up to $150,000 in revolving credit lines. If you've got 60 seconds and a solid credit score, you could have access to your funds in as little as seven days. Go to EpicFastFunding.com to fill out our 60-second application. It's fast, it's simple, up to $150,000 in as little as seven days. Go to EpicFastFunding.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.